Open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Philippians. Go to the book of Philippians, if you will, in chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And uh, we're going to look here and see what uh, God would say to us today through this passage of Scripture on this last Sunday of 2023. Paul writes in verse number 10, his desire is that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, in Christ Jesus. I want you to focus with me, if we could, on two verses of Scripture in particular, where Paul begins those by saying he has not arrived. Paul saying, I, I'm not done. I haven't arrived yet. Verse number 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for the joy of being in your house on this last Sunday of what is the old year now. It's, it's almost done. And I pray, God, that you would help us today. Lord, help us. Please prepare us. Lord, for a brand new year, an opportunity to make our lives count in a way that they've never counted before. Give us, Lord, a vision of what we can be, what we should be, what you would have us to be for your glory and your honor. And we'll thank you for all that you do. And we pray this in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Anyone that has even a rudimentary understanding or knowledge of history is familiar with the name of Winston Spencer Churchill. There's no way that you can escape that name if you read the history of the world and even the history of the United States of America. His impact was universal. It reached literally from one end of the world to the other. Probably, and at least in my estimation, he was the most important man of the 20th century. And I would summarize it by saying simply that the free world owes no man a greater debt than, than, than does the man that one biographer called the last lion. His enemies called him the British Bulldog. He was quite the man. 
It was his dogged tenacity that prevented tyranny from taking over the civilized world. And his name is etched in history books and in the hearts of everyone who really truly loves history. What people don't know about Churchill is that when he was not out and about busy making history, Sir Winston found an escape from all the pressures of his life by painting. He once said, painting came to my rescue in a most trying time. His essays on painting would ultimately be combined into a small book which I own called Painting as a Pastime. He said this, he said, go out into the sunlight and be happy with what you see. Painting is complete as a distraction. I know of nothing which, without exhausting the body, more entirely absorbs the mind. That's true for me as well. When I ride my motorcycle, which is amazing, the wind in my face, I relax, but I think. When I run, which burns off uh, stress and things like that, I come back having spent myself physically, but I still think. But when I sit in front of an easel with a paintbrush in my hand and some paints by my side, Literally, I leave the world and I'm absorbed in the world of the canvas that is set before me. So I, I, I know exactly what he means. I want to show you some pictures, if I could. Churchill was an Impressionist. He painted in Impressionism. So it's, it's not the definitive uh, paintings that carry every minute detail that you might expect. But what it does is when you stand back from it, it tells your mind what you're seeing. So if you crowd into an Impressionist painting, you, you will see that things are made out of blotches of paint. Trees, trees are not defined by every branch and every leaf. It's a blotch. But when you step back from it, your mind sees the tree, and it tells you what you're seeing. Show, show us an, another one, if you will. So you can see the Impressionism of his that, that, that forest on that hillside, it's just blotches of different shades of green. Give us one. We've got one more. Let me, show me that, if you will. So there were some things. Even this is Impressionism and, and the flowers that are seen there. And, and uh, he was an incredible painter, just an incredible painter. He would, in fact, ultimately, when all was said and done, created over 550 paintings. He authored 50-something books, and then he saved the free world. He was a man that struggled with what he called the black dog. Depression would come and sit by his side, and he would find himself depressed. And he would write in his journal, the black dog came today, and I, I wasn't expecting him and wanted him to leave, but he's been with me now. He would talk about, excuse me, weeks of struggling with the black dog. The greatest man of the 20th century that saved the free world by his own tenacity struggled with mood swings and things that, that bothered him deeply. One day he said that the most intimidating, I want you to think about a guy, I want you to think about a guy that through two world wars served 
And in the Second World War was the most dominating personality. And yet he said that the most intimidating thing that he ever faced was a blank canvas. He said, I cannot describe to you the intimidation of sitting before a blank canvas with paint and a brush and deciding what you're going to do next. One day he was lingering before his easel. His paints were there, his brush was there, and he stared at the painting, almost afraid to put a brush on it because anybody that's ever begun painting, you know those early days of being intimidated by your failures. And so he stared at the canvas, not knowing what to do. A young lady walked by, took a large brush, dipped it in blue paint, and splotched it across his canvas, and then looked at him and she said, Now you can paint. And he said from that day forward, he never, he never was quite as intimidated as he had been. He, lo- he learned just to jump in. Now this is my point. Because here we are on the last Sunday of 2023. And what is before us, what, what waits on us at the end of this day is in many ways just a blank canvas that's awaiting our paint and our brush and awaiting for us to do something with what we have been given. There are no markings. There are no images. There's nothing there yet. But it will be, and it'll be up to you and I to make some decisions about what we're going to do, how we're going to paint our world. How will we paint 2024? And that can be intimidating if we faced failures in this past year and things that we tried to do and didn't do. The temptation there is to just quit and say, well, I I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't do it. But the reality of the matter is the more you're at it and the more faithful you are, if you go back and look at his early paintings, um, you'll find that as he moved down through life, he improved and got better and better. And it could very well be that your hesitancy comes from past failure. You know, you, it may be that it comes from a recent loss. It could be that you've put the brush to the canvas before. You've made commitments before. You've made determinations before. And here you stand on the eve of a brand new year and you're afraid. You're intimidated. You're hesitant to get on with the new year. Maybe you just lack the encouragement you once had and you find yourself in a brand new season of life. Don't raise your hand. But I wonder how many of you in some area of your life or the other, it's a new season. Maybe it's your age. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your circumstances. But now all of a sudden, bam, here you are facing something that you've never faced before and intimidated by the unknown. So what I want to do, if I could today, I want to give you three things that the Apostle Paul gives us uh, that will help us as we contemplate the blank canvas before us of 2024. First thing I want to tell you is that we must forget what's behind us. Do you notice what Paul said there? Forgetting those things which are where? Behind. 
Now, it's an interesting thing, is it not, that in many places in the Bible, all the way back to Deuteronomy, God talks to us and He warns us about um, the uh, propensity that you and I have as weak people to forget things that we should remember. Let me give you a verse, Deuteronomy 4, 9. God says, Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life, but teach them to thy sons and to thy sons' sons. And so God issues a warning to us. Don't, don't, you think, don't you think it's very human of us that we easily forget what we should remember and very easily remember what we should forget? Isn't that true? The things we should remember, we forget. The things we should forget, we remember. Is that right? Okay, you're scaring me now. I think perhaps I've landed on a planet somewhere and speaking to aliens. Please, it is true. And so Paul is telling us, no, 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 let's get it right. Remember what you're supposed to remember, but forget the things that are behind you, okay? He's telling, he's telling these people at the church at Philippi that they've got to move on. They've got to forget and leave the things behind them that should be left there. And we ought to leave the past where it is in the past and stop dragging. Stop, stop dragging the past into our present and forcing it to be in the now when God intends it to be there. Leave it where it's at. Leave it where it's at or it'll slow you down. Well, let me talk with you just for a moment. Some of the things in our past that we, that we probably should forget, one of those is past failures. Okay? What do we forget? Well, you, you, I, I, it's a good idea. Why don't you just forget? Why don't you start by forgetting your past failures? How many of you have ever failed? Okay, several of you have. Others are here, and we'll have them in a line outward, and they can talk with you and share their secret with you. No, you know what we all have in common? We fail. You've failed. I have failed. We all have failed. And so you know what we are by the glory of God? We're all just a bunch of failures. Meeting together by the grace of God, trying to do better. We're familiar with it. And, and, and the problem becomes when we can't let our failures go. And so because of that, we become defined by what was in the what is. Okay? We let the past define our present. I'm going to refer again, as I have recently, to Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. If you'll read through that, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find not a bunch of great people. You're going to find a great God that takes broken, failing, flawed people and uses them in a great way. It's, it's not about the greatness of Abraham. It's not about the greatness of, 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 of Isaac, the greatness of David. Did David fail? Did he? Well, what's he doing in the hall of faith? It's showing that a great God can take a flawed and failed man and do great things with him. Remember what David was guilty of? My word, look at me. God's not building with grade A lumber. You're not grade A lumber, and I'm not grade A lumber. 
God builds with what's available to Him. And we're all flawed and failing people, but God will take us and God will use us. The story of Hebrews chapter 11 is not the hall of faith, it's the hall of failure that God uses in spite of their failings and in spite of their flaws. And so you may look behind you and say, man, I've really messed some things up. 2023 wasn't really that hot of a year for me. Okay, well, what you're going to do with 2024? It's a blank canvas. You've got a brush. You've got some paint. You might as well jump in. You might as well, you might as well decide that you're going to do something different and become more effective for God this year than you were last year. Um, you know the scouts tell us of great quarterbacks. How many of you like football? See the Georgia game? Anyhow, so that was sad. College football is so messed up and broken, it's pathetic. I'll get off of that. It's a messed up world there. Uh, I'm filing suit is the reason I wanted to say that. because It's just, it was, it's just bad. Um, don't get me started on that because I'll tell you how that, that, that uh, uh, Texas A&M, when they played their game against Oklahoma State, had 30, had 30 players that were scholarship players that opted out of playing. It's exactly what happened at Florida State against Georgia. That's why they, they, weren't, they, they didn't have their team. Okay. Now, I want you to write that down in your Bible because that's going to help you in this week ahead, all right? <laughs> you know, they tell us, you know what scouts tell us? Scouts tell us that um, the sign of a great quarterback is that when he throws a pick, when he throws an interception, that he is able almost immediately to set that behind him and move forward to what he has to do next. Am I right on that, Mark? Absolutely. The ability to just say, I failed, I, sh I should have not thrown that pass, I should have seen that defensive back coming across, I should, have, I should have seen all that, but I didn't. But you know what? I'll see it the next time. And, and the ability to set it behind them is the ability that makes a quarterback great and able to move on from his past mistakes. And, and, and I, I'm just telling you, if we're going to go forward in our Christian journey, we have to be able to get past the past, especially the failures of our past. Can you imagine what Paul could have remembered when he wrote this? Do you think he heard the sound of rocks crashing into the body of Stephen? Do you think he heard Stephen look up? And say, I see the Son of God standing on the right hand of God the Father. You think Paul remembers those words? You think, he could, you think that he heard them sometimes in the quietness of his life? Do you think he heard the screams of children as he drugged their mom and daddy out of their house and was taking them not just to prison, he was taking them to be executed. And they sobbed and cried, where's he taking my mom and dad? He was taking them to die for their faith. You don't think Paul remembered that? Well, he could have, but Paul got to a place in his life to where he decided, I've got to leave my past behind me or it will haunt me into nothingness. You better let go of yesterday or it will kill your tomorrows. You've you got to let it go. So we have to, we have to forget we have to forget past failure. Second of all, I think it would be good for us to forget past pain. 
the past pains of our, of our yesterday. Sometimes we bleed, don't we? And sometimes we're wounded by others we trusted and loved. And, and yet, though our, our love was genuine and real, they still betray us. They chose to betray us. And we get all wrapped up in that and in our feelings and our emotions. And sometimes, sometimes it's just the unexpected events of life that... that um, put us in an emotional ER. And there we sit, trying to make sense of it all, and sometimes we're just hoping that we can somehow survive the moment. If I can just get through the moment, I'll be okay. If I can just somehow survive this and get by it, I'll be okay. The day after I had my cancer surgery 12 years ago, I sat in a bed there in, in uh, uh, the, the Baptist Hospital in Oklahoma City, and I, I'd never had surgery in my life except for having my tonsils out and literally problem-free. By the way, they lied to me, and uh, I'll never forgive that. But anyhow, I didn't get to eat any ice cream after my tonsils were taken out, but that's what they told me. I could eat all the ice cream in all the world, and it was a lie. Never lie to your children. And so, uh, so I hadn't had surgery since then. That's the last thing in my mind. Okay. So I'm sitting in my bed, and my wife's there. I've just had cancer surgery. And I said to my wife, you know what? I said, I, I don't think I'll run next week. I said, I, I think probably next week I'll walk, and then the week after that I'll run. Dum, 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 dum. You know what I did not take into account? Um, pain. I didn't know what pain was. But, but, but the drugs I was on, they made me feel good. And then the drugs, when they wore off, I started feeling real bad. So they took me to Martell's. It's a bookstore in Oklahoma City. And I got a buggy. I don't ever push buggies around. There was no kids there. There was no nothing. I just got a buggy. Do you know why? Because I leaned over on the buggy, literally leaned over, and it became my support as I just shuffled my feet along and went down the aisles a few times. And it wasn't long, and I said to Susie, i got to go back. i got to go back. The church there provided a little apartment for it. I said, i got to go back. And I was absolutely, totally worn out. And it took me three months to ever run. And even then, you would have laughed at me because I was running very, very slow and shuffling my feet. I didn't know how the pain would slow me down. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many of you got scars? Please don't show them to me. Okay. Yeah, you got scars, don't you? And some of the scars are physical and some of the scars are emotional. You know what a scar is? A scar is a reminder that you bled. A scar is a reminder that you were wounded. A scar is a reminder that you hurt. A scar is a reminder uh, that, that, that something traumatic happened in your life. It could have been a deliberate scar put there by the scalpel of a surgeon that saved your life like it saved my life. So your scar may have been necessary, but it's still a sign that you were wounded. You had to be wounded to be healed, okay, to get better. A scar is also a sign of healing. Look at me. Preacher, I got scars. Oh, good. That's wonderful. What do you mean it's wonderful? It's wonderful. 
Because if there's a scar there, it means you healed properly. Here's the problem. The problem is when we keep reopening the wound over and over and over and over again in order to impress ourselves or remind ourselves or to remind others that we bled and hurt. And because of the reopening, it never heals properly. Your scar is a sign of God's grace in your life. You may have been wounded and betrayed and you may have bled and writhed in agony, but God brought healing to your life and the scar is around. Let me tell you something else a scar does for you. A scar connects you intimately with Christ. Why? Because He has scars. Because He was wounded in the house of His friends. Because He was betrayed by those that He had in vested himself in and had called to be his followers. And so the scars that he bore, the scars that he bore were scars that were caused by us, you see. And my scars connect me with him. You know why? Listen, because the Bible says that he is a man of sorrows. You ever, you ever been sorrowful? You ever had grief? He's a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. God isn't some statue stuck somewhere in, 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 a, in, in a Greek pantheon. Our Savior, our God, clothed Himself in human flesh, came down to this world and subjected Himself to deprivations of sleeplessness and hunger and thirst and mocking and spitting. He had His beard plucked from His face and his side pierced with a sword and through his hands and feet nails were driven he did all of that so that he could identify with you and with me and save us from our sins so we have to get over we have to let healing take place we have to let the touch of God stop the bleeding so that we can actually get past the wound and just bear the scar of His grace. Third of all, um, we, we have to forget sometimes perhaps past victories. Pastor, why would I want to get past victory? Because, because you get stuck in good memories. You ever met somebody that never got over what what was, once was? And they're, they're always talking about how life used to be and we can't seem to walk away from the good old days. But until we get over the victories of the past, we can never move forward to the victories of the day. See, it's, it's, not, it's not what happened then. I, let me ask you a question. What's happening now? Give me a testimony. And somebody stands up and says, well, I was saved. Well, that's great. But did something happen this week or today or this year? What happened in 2023? What are the blessings you're thankful for in the now, you see? Sometimes we get hooked on those Past, we have those past victories and, and we can't move forward. By the way, how do we just up and forget something? Well, I, don't, I don't remember that. Now, how, how do you do that? The older you get, just hang in there, it'll happen. You won't even remember why you came out of the kitchen to find the keys that you're holding in your hand, okay? Good night, what's happening? I've walked in and asked my wife where the sunglasses were. She stared at me because I was wearing them sick i don't know and now my kids are sort of surrounding me like it's it's any moment now 
It's any moment now. I catch Chad out in the garage looking at my motorcycle, and it's disturbing the things that are happening in my family, but it's, it's, it's there. You, you know how you forget something? You make a conscious and deliberate choice not to think about it. And you have that ability. You have that ability. You, you stop reopening the womb. You stop talking about the womb. You allow God's grace to move into your life and bring healing about And you make a choice. I will not think. I will not dwell there. Well, Pastor, it keeps popping into my mind. That's okay. It can pop out as sure as it can pop in. And you can quote Scripture. And you can claim the God who lives within you by the Holy Spirit of God to wash your minds clean. Uh, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Start memorizing Scripture and, 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 and clean it all out. God will give it to you. And we can't live a healthy spiritual life today if we're stuck in yesterday. And people, people that obsess over what used to be and what they used to do are pretty well unsatisfied with what's going on right now. And they lose their joy and their satisfaction because they're always comparing what is with what was. And you've got to live in the what is and let God make something out of you. Second of all, notice, notice in the Scripture there, not only are we to forget uh, what's behind us, but we're to reach forth unto what is before us. Now, this is an absolute picture of the Grecian games. Okay, you've got a runner. The runner is in the race. He's not looking behind him at who's coming up on him, or he's not stopping and saying, okay, one, two, three, four, five. He's not doing any of that. You know what he's doing? He's, his gaze is forward. Why? Because that's where the finish line is at. That's, that's where the... That's where that's where the finish line's at. That's what he's running toward. And he's not stopping to look behind him. He's running for the crown. And the crown is ahead. The crown is before him. And every muscle, the word reach, is talking about a strain. He's driving forward with every muscle that he might obtain it. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, the Bible said, let us lay aside the, the, the uh, weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us. Listen to this. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. What does patience mean? That means mile one. Mile three. Mile six. Mile eight. Mile eleven. You know what it means? Just one foot in front of the other foot, every Sunday, every Monday, every Tuesday, every Thursday, every Saturday, just keep running the race with patience. When things are good, when things are bad, when things are up, when things are down, when the sun is shining, when, the, when it's pouring rain and lightning bolts are flying everywhere, just keep running for the glory of God. Stay in the race. We lost some very dear people this year that completed their course. Some was longer than others. I think of Blanche. She had a long run, did she not? Amazing. Amazing. And, and they finished their race. And they're a part of the cloud of witnesses today that are cheering us on and saying, keep running. Keep running. Don't quit. Keep running. And, and, and by the way, listen to me. If you're still here, you're still in the race. If, if you're still here if, if you step foot onto 2024, 
It's because we're not done yet. Our race isn't over. Our life still has purpose, and we must run that race with patience. And it's not just enough. Listen, it's not just enough that we let go of our yesterdays. There's got to be something today that we're reaching for. It's not just, hey, I forgot what's behind me. I'm, I'm not going to live back there. Well, what are you living today? What are you doing today? It's not just that you've moved beyond your past problems and your past difficulties. What are you doing today to make today a better day than yesterday was? Paul said, I'm forgetting the things that are behind me, but I'm going to tell you something right now. Right now, I'm reaching for the things that are in front of me. What do you see in front of you? What can you do to make 2024 a, a, better, a better year, a better life? What are, you doing, what are you doing for God's kingdom today? Let me ask you a question. Can you name blessings in your life right now? Yeah, but pastor there. No, no, no. I'm not talking about I'm I'm asking you blessings. Can you name can you name blessings now? We get so busy looking at the downside of life that we are blind to do the good thing. You know what God told Moses? Moses went to God and he said, Okay, wait a minute. So you want me to leave three million people out of bondage? They, they ain't even listening to me. In fact, they're threatening me. So what do I tell those people? I don't even know what your name is. Who are you? What do I say to them? I mean, I've met you, but who do I say sent me? You know what God said to him? Tell them this. Tell them, I am sent you. That's present. I am. Now, we know it's the Alpha and Omega in the beginning and the end. We know that. But he said to Moses, I am now. I am sent you. And I want to tell you, listen, you mark this down in your life, whatever you're facing, whatever is going on. He is, the, he is the I am, and He can do whatever it is you need Him to do right here, right where you are. He's always with us. He never will leave us. He never forsakes us. No matter how bleak or how hopeless the situation may be, God is the great I am. God's the great I am. Last of all, here's this. We have, to, we have to press for His goals for us. Reaching forth unto those things that are before us. And Paul said, I press toward the mark of the high calling of God. How? In every way I figure I want to live my life. No, in Christ Jesus. You, you, know, what, you know what he's saying there? He's basically saying, I'm trying to be what God wants me to be. You know what he's saying? God's goal for me is my goal for me. I've made God's calling. That's my goal. I want to I be, be what God's called me to be. I want to be who God's called me to be. And I'm pressing, I'm pressing toward that. By the way, he started out by being so transparent in our passage and saying, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. By the way, anybody you ever meet that tells you they've arrived hasn't. Okay, they, they ain't. They're not there because none of us are. This life is an entire, an entire journey. And so, if I could go back to my beginning artistic analogy, Paul, Paul hadn't put the brush down yet. Paul's saying, I ain't done. I haven't arrived yet. Paul, Paul, Paul is saying, the last thing that, that, that I want you to believe is that, that I'm finished the picture. You know what an artist does when he finishes the picture? You know what the last thing is when his painting's complete? He signs it. Okay. 
In the bottom of my paintings, I put a D. And how I do my initials, I take that loop, line the loop, and I bring it straight across, and then I put my H. That connects the two. After I sign my picture, the family throws it in the garbage and or uses it, or uses it for, to change oil with or things like that. You know Bob Ross? How many of you know Bob Ross? Okay. Years ago, we were at an artist thing in... Um, we, were, we were up at Redfish Lake, and all these artists had their stuff around. Well, I'd just seen Bob Ross. I mean, I was just starting out painting. I'd seen Bob Ross on TV. So Chad tells me, he said, uh, he died recently. When, when did he really die, Chad? 70, I don't know. When he died, died years ago. So I walk up to an artist. You know, I'm a young, this young, aspiring artist. And I said, have you ever seen Bob Ross? And he said, oh, yeah, I know Bob Ross's work. And I said, he died recently. The guy looked at me and said, he died 20 years ago. <laughs> I felt like an idiot. I saw Chad, I said, wow, thanks for setting me up with that one, you know. If you see Bob Ross on TV, he does his paintings amazingly. I mean, you know, you're just talking 30 minutes, he's, he's got this painting, it's incredible. Then he takes his brush, his liner brush, and he puts it in some, some oil and he spins it in red paint and then he signs Ross. That's the last thing he does. You know what Paul is saying? I'm not signing my portrait yet. I'm not putting my name to it. It's, 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 not, over, it's not over with yet. But I'm going to tell you in just a few hours, listen to me, at midnight, at the stroke of midnight tonight, you're going to have to sign your year. It's done. You can't, you can't put another brush to it. Maybe there's some things you need to do between now and then. Maybe there's some apologies you need to make, some phone calls you need to make, some gratitude you need to express. Maybe, maybe in 2023, there's some things left undone that you need to finish before you sign your painting tonight. Do it. Do it. Because once midnight strikes... There's nothing else you can put on the canvas. Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Let me tell you what, what God is saying to us. God is saying, here's what I want you to look like, Jesus. I just want you to, if you're saved, God's saying, for, for everybody that gets saved, I want them to be conformed. I want to paint them in the image of Jesus Christ. My life is drab colors. But oh, if God could paint Jesus on my canvas in 2024, what a different picture my life would present to other people. I don't want, look at me, I do not want 2024 to be a self-portrait. I don't want to paint Dean. I don't want to paint Dean. Where when all is said and done, people can look back at my, my 2024 and say, boy, I saw Dean in 2024. That's not worth buying. It's not worth painting. It's not worth seeing. I want to paint Christ. 
I want to paint Jesus into every scene of every day that I live. I want to paint him in my home. I want to paint him in my church. I want to paint Jesus in my relationship with others. When I am wronged, when somebody does me wrong, I want to paint Jesus there. When I'm angry, I want people to see him, not me. When someone is unkind to me, when someone is untrue to me, when people don't understand me, when life doesn't go my way and storms shake my world, when I'm tempted to quit and hang it up and put down the brush, sign my name and walk away, I want to paint in such a way that others see Jesus in me. Now when Paul said, I press toward the mark, the word press gives us one hint, and that's this, it ain't going to be easy. You've got to press it. You've got to keep pushing. When you're tired, when you're weary, when you're disappointed, when you're disillusioned, when you look at other people and say, you really messed me up. You have to keep pressing to make your portrait one of Jesus instead of one of you. Let's bow our heads, could we? We're all just a room of artists. We're just a room of artists. We're people that are going to, in a few hours, sign away the old and stare into the new. What do you see? What would you like your home to be like in 2024? What would you like your relationship with others to be in 2024? I want to tell you right now, I serve a God that can. How dare us, how dare us be double-minded? How dare us pray to a God for change, for healing, for help, for miracles, and then walk away not believing the God that we've just prayed to? That's an insult to a holy and a powerful God. He that asketh much must ask in faith, nothing wavering, but believing that God can do exactly what God said He can do. That's the God I serve. That's the God you serve. Paint Jesus into your 2024. Father, I pray that you would bless each and every one of us as we wind down this year. Some have gone through losses and things that are unthinkable. But in all of it, Lord, you're there. I pray you'd help us as we determine to paint differently the new year that you've given us. Help us to serve you. Bless our church. Bless our families. Bless our lives. God, that we would be what you want us to be, that others can see Jesus in us. And we'll thank you for all that you do. In the name of Christ, our Savior, we pray these things. 
Amen.